Welcome back to the Unique Conversations with Chris podcast. Today's episode is part two of Ashley's conversation where we discuss her experience with narcissistic abuse, her journey to successfully co-parent, as well as how she learned to heal from all her traumas she experienced. So grab a drink, get a snack, and join in on the conversation. Okay. Again, the end of our marriage. Because that therapist probably helped you realize that some of the things that you were experiencing are not normal or healthy. It, But I started to see, you know, that I wasn't right. Um, and And even before I started to see, I married my ex-husband. So the, when I walked into the VA, it was probably, but it was probably the worst decision I could have ever done. Oh, why why did you say that? Because when you start to get healthy, you start to see things. Yeah, I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. I know exactly where you're going with that. Right. You start a relationship's totally different and you're like, wait a minute, this is not healthy. I shouldn't be accepting this. Yeah. This, this is not right. This is not good yeah. for me. And I, I definitely can relate to that because when you make a decision when you're broken and then you're starting to put yourself back together, you realize that decision I made when I was broken is not the best decision for me. And it's going to break me again if I continue with this. Yes. And I have to, and, and, and to put it in perspective, um, when my ex, my husband met me, um, we had been single for a really long time. You know, and I was a single mom with two babies. I was strong and fierce and independent. I had set up a, a foundation. I was putting myself through school on my own. So I was a single mom in school working, you know, a shift work concept. And mm-hmm. I played, I, I had a, a community that surrounded me. Doesn't mean I was, I was, um, ex- or self-aware, but I, I was, I was living, you know, and I was, I was on my way. I mean, I played, I played roller derby for a significant amount wow, of years. Really? Yeah, that's, you know, um, and I'm going to have to say, you know, there's, there's things in the roller derby community, like, oh, roller derby, yeah, save my soul or whatever the case is. And I can, I can firmly say if it wasn't for those people in that community, I couldn't be here today on this podcast because they have stuck with me for this long. Um, but I still was broken. I didn't know I was broken. I just thought this was the way of life. And I was still just putting one foot in front of the other. And and I would have to say, you know, yeah, divorcing again. But I was doing it. Um, but I met my ex. And uh, that's who he met. Was a very strong, professional individual. And... Nine years later, that's not who I was. Mm. And yeah. unfortunately, that's ended up in divorce. You don't want us all, unfortunately. Okay. I'm going to say, fortunately. Well, good. Um, and, and that's not to, to speak ill. Mm-hmm. I just think because I was still broken and still living in, in doubt that I was broken, um, we ignore science and people, you know, who was presented to me as that strong, independent, single mom during her thing was not the actual individual in which she was portraying herself. 
Okay. I well, can look back and see all those flags. Can you share some of the flags maybe for somebody that may be trying to, trying to, because I know for me, when I'm going through different changes and different things in life, sometimes hearing somebody else has got, oh, you know what? That's, that's what I'm noticing. It moved very quickly, almost whirlwind, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think I met him and then like 30 days he was moving in, right? And then that, I look back at that and I actually didn't want him to move in. I, but I was like, well, this is, this is the best that I've had in how many years? This is a person who's paying attention to me. He's telling me all these great things about myself and buying me things and, you know, all this, like all of it. And I don't want to use the word love bombing, but thinking, but that's what it is. It was love bombing. Yeah. It was, but it wasn't like love bombing in the sense of I'm going to tell you all these amazing things. It was every aspect that he touched was bond mm-hmm. and then when he was in that's when he started to manipulate yeah you know i significantly remember a time when we were dating that we were playing around with my boys and i we were like kind of like tossing ice and i threw ice and it hit him in the eye and his reaction was to turn and punch the wall. Wow. That's intimidation. <laughs> because I'm so angry that I accidentally hit him in the eye. And at the time, I was just like, why are you so angry? You know, like it was just an accident. But that was the first time I saw his anger. You know, it was probably the first sign of, Instead of me saying, what is your problem to me going, I'm so sorry. That was mm-hmm. so my fault. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have been playing around. I shouldn't have been paying more attention. I'm so sorry that I upset you because now I have this good thing. Mm-hmm. And this individual is punching walls. Over ice. An accident. But I don't want to lose the good thing, right? Because now I've let this individual into my children's lives and they love him so i have to fix it i have to fix it i have to fix this i've already let my kids down one time i've already uh, you know left their 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 biological father which i could look back and say we were just very young and very broken (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. i don't have to fix this i have to fix this for them Mm-hmm. And then it was good to go. But then, like I said, the manipulation started. It started with, he somehow got me to quit roller derby. Oh, wow. And he did it by guilt tripping me. And trying to isolate you to get you under his thumb. Yeah, your kids, he would send, he, I remember him bragging after I quit roller derby, that he intentionally said and sent me pictures of things so that I would feel guilty that I was not there. The more and more I hear stories about individuals with narcissistic tendencies, it's like, it's almost textbook of the the tactics that they use and whether or not 
He's like, it's the love bombing. It's the whirlwind. It's the moving quickly. It's the, you know, the honeymoon phase. It's the, um, then once it gets you just drawn in and it's, okay, now let's beat her down until she doesn't feel that she yeah. has to rely on. It's almost like you have to rely on their approval to feel validated at that point, you know? And, and I mean, I mean, then he is inundated in my life, but here's the thing. You couldn't tell me any differently at that time. Of course, because you don't see it. No, no, no. That's the best. I mean, and I'm not, again, I, I don't want to talk ill to where, you know, I, I co-parent and um, things along that nature. Um, but it was very, very strategic. Very strategic. And you know what? I don't even think he, he was in a mental health place to realize, which most are not, with a narcissistic individual, what they're doing. Yeah. I strongly believe that narcissistic people are not intentionally manipulative and mean. I just think that they lack the overall awareness and empathy that people are not their puppets. Yeah. Yeah. And so you know, one one hand they like, okay, I wanna I wanna woo this person in, but then I also want to control so that this person never leaves me. Yeah. And so by their controlling you, that means, you know, making you feel like you're not as worthy as as you think. Um, and then they'll pull the strings. It's like, oh, you know, I think you're awesome. But then, then they also do it. Like, why would you do that? Like with the incident with the ice, like something that could have been taken as, oh, you know, we were all playing around. It's not like he went in and, and you know, and it like was, intentionally did it. Right. It's just, you know, and but you you can tell me any differently than when I didn't see this. And I will tell you the first couple, you know, years, I mean, it was like bliss, you know, I mean, see them now, um, but you know, they were bliss. Um, but yeah, he got, he got me to quit roller derby. Yeah. If you're saying that they were a big piece of why you're still here today, then why would that be something that? They'd have to take, he'd have to feel like he'd take from you. And the thing of the nature is, is he was loved by everybody. My parents loved him. He, he had inundated every ounce of my life and was loved by all. And you have to keep in mind, you know, I can look back now and say that I saw this and, and I wasn't very content with it. But when you have significant people like your parents, like, he's the best thing that's ever happened to you. Yeah. God bless, God bless him. I don't know what you would do without him. What do you mean you don't know what I would do without him? I've been without him for, you, you know? Yeah. Because they see the aversion. They see who he chooses for them to see. Narcissistic individuals let them see who, who they want to see. And then Keep in mind, he was broken and everybody else knew it but me. So they were coming from it in a good, intentful way. But at the same time, you know, like I was also I was also suffering like I'm not good enough. I'll never be good enough. I mean, there's just so much mental health involved in this whole thing. We married quickly. I think we married like 
year and a half, two years, maybe less. I mean, we at the one year anniversary, I had a ring on my finger. Eight months later, I or eight or nine months later, I was married. And don't get me wrong. He, I, again, I'm just I'm just clearing, and people are gonna like, oh, she's making excuses. No, because as this for me, this is what resiliency is: it's seeing good and it's seeing the bad. I'm not I'm not saying this to make excuses. There's significant qualities. In, in narcissistic individuals. There can be, in my opinion. They're not just these horrific individuals. They know how to to appear like um, the nice person, the nice guy, the, the, you know, the one that the neighbors would be like, I can't believe he would do that to you kind of, kind of thing. <laughs> well, when I, yeah, when I divorced, when I left, uh, I had no support. Because nobody could believe that this is who he was. Well, and, and I, thing. and we, and I, I kept my mouth shut. Nobody mm-hmm. knew what went behind closed doors, and everybody had a vision of me, right? Brad, empowered, confident. There's no way Ashley would let that happen behind closed doors. And there's that 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 guilt, that shame, that judgment, that fear. That allows you to stay behind closed doors and keep it to yourself. Mm-hmm. Why? Why would? Why would an individual of my stature allow myself to be subject to narcissistic abuse? The people that don't understand—it's so hard to make someone that's never been through it understand it. Well, and it's not like it's not—it's not like that's what I met. Mm-hmm. You don't, you don't, you literally wake up one day or you hope to wake up one day and, and you ask yourself, how did I get here? And then you piece it back together. Mm-hmm. You piece it back together. And I know exactly how I got into the situation that I found myself into. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, I could, I could talk about all the narcissistic abuse that I went through that I didn't realize was abuse at the time. Um, He had a hard time keeping a job. He was always dissatisfied with his job. No matter what he did, it was not what he wanted to do. He always got in trouble with managers because he knew better. He knew how to do it better. But all these little, once we were married, all these little things started to come out. All these little things that he had told me, and then they were a little bit of lies. Like, it was the crux in the narratives, but he had got me. I was married. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I don't, I don't have any debt. Everything's great. Go file taxes. He is $10,000. That's huge. Right? You know, um, I have a great relationship with my parents. He was never content. With anything we had, he he just wanted more and more and more and more and more and more and more. And it had gotten to the point that I used to press it, right? You know, used to be like, hey, but then you would pay for it. Mm -hmm. I mean, he he told me that I couldn't tell him can't. I can't tell him that he couldn't do something. (laughs) So if you want to go buy this big purchase, you you can't tell him no. You just have to just... Be quiet and let him do it. Because that would stir a big emotional reaction in him. And that's, and there's the little, right? There's the little things. 
Except when he presented it to me the first time, it was like, well, don't tell me I can't do something because I'm going to go prove you wrong because that's what I did. Well, then, and then I tell him can't and no, you can't do that. And then it's like, what did I tell you about the word can't? Hmm. What do you mean? You're not allowed to tell me I can't do something. But I thought we were partners. <laughs> I thought we were, we were. Yeah. And so there's yeah, a level of manipulation, right? They present mm-hmm. something in, in one frame and then they apply it subjectively to all aspects that they choose. Mm-hmm. And it just, it just got to the point, you know, like we sold a house and we moved and I didn't want to move and I wasn't happy with that. And it was just, I couldn't, I could not, no matter how much I tried, there was mm-hmm. no way that I could keep that individual content. Nothing I did or do was good enough. Nothing we had was good enough. Yeah. So you mentioned earlier that him being, I don't know how he, him, what his influence was with you getting the help with the VA with your mental health. Yeah was the demise of you guys' relationship. Um, it was the end of our relationship. And so just the resources and help there and you being able to see from a different perspective is what got you to get out of that situation. So narcissistic individuals like to help. To the outside world, they're the best thing. They just help wherever and anything that they can. And don't get me wrong, I'm a helper too. Mm-hmm. So to him... It was like he was fixing me. I'm the problem. Mm -hmm. So him walking me into the VA was a tryout. Mm -hmm. Look at me. Look what I'm doing for my wife. I'm getting her the help that she needs. Mm -hmm. Finally, after all these years. Mm -hmm. And it was the demise of our relationship. And, and And I mean, I... I, I have to give him credit for that, though. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I could have walked through those doors without him. And that's resiliency to me, being able to say that, to say that an individual that brought me such harm is mm-hmm. actually the individual who saved me. Yeah. And I will forever be in debt to that. Mm-hmm. And that, I would have to say, is where I finally started to realize how resilient Yeah. I feel like very strongly that there are people in our lives that are here to teach us a lesson. And to teach, you know, so perhaps that his his part in your story was to teach you your lesson or to get you to that lesson. And then, you know, you can honor them and say, thank you for that. But the rest of my journey is on my own. Yeah. I think him and I trauma bonded. Because typically it's people that are more empathetic will find something, will root for the underdog or the person that's perceived as the big bad wolf. And Mm -hmm. for me, that's okay. Well, I'm going to be that person to help them. Because well, we both want to help. <laughs> both parties want to help. 
trauma bonds are not the healthiest and can become kind of toxic. And I found out, like, we all have coping mechanisms, right? I found out I was really good at fixing other people, but myself. <laughs> right? Yeah. Let's, like, talk about that for a moment, right? Let's yeah. like, ignore what's wrong with us, but let me pinpoint exactly what's wrong with you. Tell exactly. you how to fix it. Make you a better person, but don't look at me. <laughs> yeah. No. What's going on back here? I'm just going to look at you. For myself and the people. Mm-hmm. And... And that was how I coped. Because if I was helping them with their problems, then I didn't have to look at them. So to me, it sounds like codependency. I don't know if you're familiar with that term. I am, yeah. Yeah. So for me, I know, and I'm going to use myself as an example, that that's something that I have had to work on these last few years, is being so codependent that I neglect myself in hopes to help others because in some weird way, that's how I felt valued. You know, yeah. I, if I'm able to help this person or solve this problem or, you know, get this person through this, then then that means I'm worthy of something. Yeah. And so um, that's just been a whole other journey of discovery for myself. It's like I got to learn to set the boundaries for myself as well as the other people that are used to me mm-hmm. being this person that's willing to drop everything to help you with. At the expense of myself, in my own mental health. And I think that's interesting that you use the word codependency because I think when um, people utilize the word codependency, they automatically go to, I'm codependent on my partner. Mm-hmm. Or you've used it as, I'm codependent on people. Mm-hmm. Not yes. just who I'm with, mm-hmm. but the it people that like family. It can be so many, there's so many different people or so many different uh, relationships that you can become codependent. I mean, even your children, even though it's one of those relationships where you are the parent and you're supposed to protect and provide and, you know, all those things. But there's a there's a boundary there that you have to even put in line with your children, you know. Yeah, exactly. You know, but in that and but in the course of that marriage, you know, he moved me away from my community and put me into Utah. Where it had mm-hmm. nobody. I mean, like, not to be jumping. You know? And that's actually where a lot of the narcissistic abuse started to occur is when I was isolated. That's where it yeah. turned. A hundred percent turned. And he let his parents move in. And so not only was I being subjected to him, I was being subjected to his parentals. And then it dawned on me that this individual has no idea what healthy is. I didn't either, obviously, but I knew it was round. But yeah, I was being subjected to ongoing narcissistic abuse, not only by my ex, but by a in-law. Mm, okay. I would be at work and said in-law would call me and say, what are you doing with the chicken out on the counter? I don't know. I'm just defrosting it. I'm going to make something when I get home, whatever the case is. And they would ridicule me because I didn't know what I was going to do with the chicken. Well, I'm at work. Who takes chicken out of the freezer and doesn't know what they're going to do? A lot of people. <laughs> it's like as long as I got a protein or something, uh, I can come up with so many different dishes depending on, you know, what I'm in the mood for, whatever strikes me at that time. Yeah, I would come back from work and my whole house would be rearranged, like my kitchen drawers and stuff. Why? Because that's what she wanted. But again, what I did, right, in that situation was 
I remembered the husband that I had over here. The change is we moved here. This isn't him. This is the outside influences. This is, this is my ex over here. Mm-hmm. The person I fell in love with who wished me off my feet, all those positive things, which he still has to this day. If I can just get him away from where we are, I can get back to who to where we he was. Where were. And were you able to move from Utah to a different environment to see if that would get better? Oh, yeah. It mm. got worse. It got worse. I remember begging. I said, if you do not do something, you're going to have to put a lot more back together than just our marriage. Uh, like, I, I remember explicitly communicating that I am breaking, and he mm-hmm. does not care. It was more important to keep the peace, not choose you, let's just call it how it is, not mm-hmm. prioritize me, not prioritize my feelings. I was not chosen. And he allowed me to be destroyed. But to me, I was like, it's not him. It's them. So you got him by himself and then you realized it is him. And it, it is him. So now that, because you guys co-parent, how, how did you develop a strategy to be able to successfully co-parent with him? Because I, I recognize that it may not be the easiest task. <laughs> Because co-parenting alone is tough, but when you're co-parenting with somebody else that's like a sparring partner, it's even yeah. tough. I've had to make a decision on where I wanted to live and what I wanted my children to see. Everybody says, they're like, well, my children deserves healthy and my children deserves this and my children does that, but they stay right there, status quo. They say all the right things, but they do nothing to take two steps forward because they're too busy living in the past. They're too busy living in the future. And they are not facing what's in front of them. Not everything in my marriage was horrible. He adopted my son. I have a beautiful little girl. The way that I co parent today. Is I live right here in the presence and I allow no access to my proximity. Okay. Explain that. He does not have access to the closest parts of me. Very, very firm boundaries. And they're not ones that I need to communicate to him. Okay. They're the ones I can keep within myself. But the way that I co-parent with him is I see that individual as a human being. I see and I, and I rationalize his story and his journey. I'm not justifying anything that has occurred. Absolutely not. We, we trauma bonded. I got help. He did not. He started to lose control. He held on tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter. And then I reminded him, we'll keep married. So when it comes to co-parenting, for me, I have to look 
his journey too and put a human human host it. I don't want to speak a lot on his journey. I'm I'm very he would. But he grew up horrifically <laughs> unstable. But it, on the out, but on the outside, it looked like he grew up great. He had no healthy boundaries. He had nobody taught him finances. Like he grew up horrifically. If you pull up the symptoms or the causes of narcissistic behavior or sociopathic or borderline personality disorders, my ex has every single traumatic thing that occurred to him that would cause that. For my own mental health, I felt that I would be a hypocrite if I did not look at it from a human lens. I can't preach forgiveness. I can't preach healing. I can't preach taking two steps forward and putting your feet on the ground if I don't exercise that for every single person that is around me or not around me. Yeah. Sounds like you gave are giving him more compassion, empathy to understand that although he has done these things that were not healthy or harmed you, but he's still a human being and he's still the father of your 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 children he deserves to be a father if he's safe and that's so hard for me to say i could not have said that to you a year ago so it took a lot that took a lot of journaling that took a lot of praying but i realized that i had to forgive and practice what I preach when I saw my children on their own healing paths. I saw my children looking to me what is acceptable. And I said to myself, I will not allow my kids 10 to 20 years to look at me and say that I had any negative play in the relationship with their father. And I even told my ex when I left him that I will be right there, but I will be in a different role. But you need to become the best version of yourself. To this day, I have not said one negative thing about my children's father to them. I'm sure that they'll appreciate that as they get older because then they will be able to say, well, mom influenced me to look at dad this way. It's everything that's based on their own journey and their own relationship with him. And I'm not in control of it. I tried to control it. I tried and it was a very hard lesson. I ended up on the phone with my therapist, bawling my eyes out when I realized that I cannot heal my children. And let me tell you something. I struggle. This is not a rainbows and kitties story. I'm very human. Mm-hmm. I struggle. There are times where I get so resentful in my head. 
And there's times where that it spews up. There's times where I have to catch my tongue. There's times where I look at him today and say, why can't you be that way with us? Yeah. Where was this person? This is the person I begged for. Yeah. I can see where that comes into play too, because, but also too, I, I rationalize it with myself by saying, well, we were in each other's lives for a lesson. You can't go back and say, well, I should have known this back then, or he should have been this way because it would have turned out differently. Well, then the lesson would have been learned the same way. Well, um, I tell, I told him that he would have never gotten help and he's mm -hmm. in help today if I would have stayed. Right. And that who he was today would not exist. I would not exist if I had not left. Yeah. And that's the bittersweet thing about this whole healing thing is because recognizing that if I would have stayed in this dynamic, we wouldn't have, we wouldn't have flourished. But at the same time, you get to see this other person evolve and heal. And you're like, this is what I wanted back then. But why did we have to go through it? Well, with taking your ideology, if I had never gone through it, I never would have known how broken I was. You know, if I never would have left, he never would have changed. Sometimes that's the exact catalyst for someone to look at themselves. I know for me, that was the catalyst. Like, wait a minute. I can't blame anybody else for me being miserable and happy and not taking care of myself. I have to look at myself and go through that. And we do okay today. Yeah. But that doesn't I'll, mean I'm healed. Yeah. So you speak about healing your children um, if you feel comfortable sharing. What does that look like? Is it the relationship with their father being a product of divorce? So witnessing. I thought that I had done a significant job of hiding what was occurring. And they actually were subject to, uh, to narcissistic abuse as well. And so, and I have older children. I saw what is called or what was told to me was called a transfer of trauma. Explain that. So the situation that was occurring with me is, is I was unhealed from my past, my PTSD from combat and MST. And then I was compounded with the narcissistic abuse, things like that. I was in a constant state of hyper vigilance. I didn't know who was walking through the door. And when I walked out the door, I thought I was going to die. I mean, they're in simple terms, right? And so part of the reason that we separated, it was supposed to just be a separation to see if I could, I could exhale a little bit. That's a whole nother story. I call that the 13 days of hell after we separated. But it came very apparent that I had not hidden anything from my children. There were times, because... Here you are, right? You're, you're, you're separating. My, my six-year-old is very, very angry, you know, not at me. Um, my, my ex made a very poor judgment call and said that it was a great opportunity to be 100% open and honest with his six-year-old and let him know what had been occurring and on his mom. And so now you have a six-year-old where their dad is walking out the door. The second dad, okay, let's talk about abandonment there, right? Mm-hmm. 
willfully admitting to hurting his mother because he thinks it's going to be a great teaching lesson. So think about the anger in that kid. And I remember some point, I don't know why, but he was losing his mind. It was like looking at a little version of my partner that I had just separated from. He literally was treating me and speaking to me at this moment in the manner in which I had just escaped them. It's because it was learned transfer of trauma. And that is what their therapist said that it did. Yikes. And Imagine that's, it's mom, that's a lot. That's tough because you're managing your own healing and you want to manage their healing to be in as nurturing as possible. But you have that's something you have no control over. That is the hardest lesson of a mom and this whole entire thing is coming to terms and knowing I cannot heal my children. That's tough. Because, you know, as a mom, you think, okay, he's got a cold. Let me go get grab a cold medication. Or if his arm is broken, I can take him to the doctor, get him a cast and get it set and make sure that he doesn't do anything. But that's something that's very delicate that you you can do only what you can do from your end. But from the perspective of them being able to really retain and become a more healed version and manage their trauma is something that you have no control over other than giving them the tools, meaning the therapy, the, the environment in which they can heal. And then you compound it with the mama guilt. I caused that. I should have yeah. left her. I'm an idiot. What was I thinking? Why did I stay that long? Yeah. And I'll be honest with you. Part of the reason that I finally had the courage outside of having the correct people around me is my son. A situation happened. He was emotionally abusing my 16-year-old. I don't remember what it was, but ridiculing whatever he normally does. And I always had to play referee. I always had to get in the middle. Stop that. You're taking away my authority. You're not going to speak to them. Like, I was consistently and constantly coming into the middle of them to protect them. And there was a situation like that. And I was consoling my 16-year-old. At the time, he wasn't 16. I think he was like 14 or 15. I don't remember exactly. And he said, Mom, I wish it was just you and us again. I already had one previous failed marriage. Actually, two. Talk about the reason. Mm -hmm. I can't fail again. I can't mm -hmm. fail these kids again. Not knowing that I was failing them collectively. And I shouldn't say me. I would say myself and my ex were failing them. Right. I just have to be with my kids on their own healing path. I have to heal myself. And I can't do that by staying angry. I can't do that by staying in the past. I can't show people like, oh, kids deserve to see what healthy is. Well, health, healthy is to me not a relationship, healthy is an individual mindset. I'd rather have my children heal from the devastation of being divorced rather than see a dynamic of a relationship that's unhealthy and then re 
redo that in the future. Exactly. You know, um, there are moments of doubt. I had never had a panic attack in front of my kids until I had separated from my ex. And it was a crippling, paralyzing panic attack that put me in the fetal position in front of both of my boys. And I was just like, I, I broke down. That was the day that they saw their mom weak. They saw their mom really weak. But it also was the day that my 16-year-old agreed to therapy. But I feel like for me, when I've had my own like experiences, because one of the things that I used to try to do is hide or not show my emotions or cry in front of my children. Mm-hmm. And then one day it just kind of occurred to me, it's like, had I would have seen my parents express emotion, then that would have let me know that, hey, it's okay. My mom cries too. It's okay to when you cry when you have a rough day. It's okay to cry when you're hurt. Or it's okay to have those moments where you have your breakdown um, because it's human. It's, it's something just like you see me laugh. You know, it's just as normal for them to see me cry now. If it's just something where it's consistent and continuous or something unhealthy, then I would probably keep them from that. But in the sense of I'm just having a really rough moment and I'm I'm allowing myself to cry because yeah. I want to know that it's normal. The amount of open communication I have today with my children on mental health is the mm-hmm. most I've ever had their whole duration of their life. I like just to piggyback what you said. Look, mom is overstimulated. You 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 gotta give me a moment instead of just mm-hmm. they need me. I gotta be there. We talk about it all the time. You know, with with their therapist, I'll be really honest with you. When they would come at me with these toxic behaviors in the beginning, and then they're doing exceptionally well today. Um, but really, in the beginning, their therapist would would tell me, "You hold them accountable. You do not let them get away with that. You tell them exactly what it is. You call it abuse. You say where it comes from, and you tell them it's unacceptable." And in my mama brain, I'm like. Mm-hmm. No, <laughs> but they hurt. I mm-hmm. did this. I I made them this way. I can't tell them this. I just remember their therapist reiterating to me: if you don't do this, this is who they will grow to be. That's powerful, and that's right there is a reason in itself to be firm in that boundary and firm holding them accountable because you don't want them to be that way. You don't no. want sure partners to be saying the same things you're saying now about them in the future. And I remember to this day, the first time me turning to one of my older children and saying, I am not going to stand here and allow you to emotionally abuse me because that is what you're doing. The hurt that came across my baby's face. Hmm. I did it very cool and calm, you know, and explained why it devastated me. I went to my room and bawled. I literally just called my child an abuser. But I but I did it with the tools that my my therapist and their therapist provided. I want to say that. I didn't do this on my own. This was not done on my own. This was done with guides right next to me telling me and coaching me and mentoring me 
to do this in a manner that was loving and empathetic and with compassion. If you could go back and there's a person in your position, what advice would you have to give to them? Like your your last piece of advice, um, basically knowing what you know now. That you really need to pause and look around because there are people there that absolutely see you and want to help you, but you are so tunnel vision and in a fight and flight mode, you're missing it. And so my piece of advice would be is, is whatever you're in and whatever you're facing, it's temporary. You cannot do this alone. You have to have the tools and the resources. And the biggest, biggest tool you can have is saying, I need help. That's excellent. I, that's excellent. I think that's an awesome way to, to round up, wrap up your story because that's excellent advice. First, remember somebody coming to me and saying, we saw you struggling. We tried to help you, but you were like an abused puppy. And every time that we reached out, she snapped at us. Wow, that's a powerful analogy. Little victories matter when you're be when you feel like the weight of the world is on you. Celebrate the small victory. If it's just getting up and brushing your teeth that day and that's all you've done, that's awesome. You've done you've won. You've done something beneficial for you. 